Headwaters is brought to you by the Glacier National Park Conservancy. It's the winter of 1902, and I'm cold and content. Each night seems to grow longer, and each storm brings more snow. A welcome break after a hot and sweaty summer. I usually have this place all to myself, but not tonight. A flash of orange erupts from the valley below, a ball of fire and billowing black smoke, leaping flames joined by a chorus of shouting desperate men. It all started a few years ago with the sound of footsteps in the valley below. Men sharing around a campfire the story of what brought them here. Rumors of bears covered in petroleum. If we can find where the bears wallowed, they said, we'll be rich. I'd never seen men like this before, and I'm not sure if they saw me, but they did find what they were looking for. Black puddles seeping out from the rocks along the lake. Oil. Not long after came hooves, 20 horses loaded with clanking metal and 20 men clamoring with excitement. From my perch on the mountainside, I watched trees crash to the ground. I heard the thumps and scrapes of hammers and saws that built cabins, boats, and a small sawmill. The sizzling of a cook stove, grumbling about canned food, noise was constant. But the most frequent sounds were the hopeful conversations of men as they stood around a massive drill. Through the wind and snow, they looked to the ground, some dreaming of a better life, others of power and riches. Eventually, their drill reached a bubble of flammable gas that inflated their hope to new heights. Profitable oil cannot be much deeper, they thought. Tonight, in a flash of fire, the promising gas is accidentally ignited, and all their work burns. Their cabins, their tools, their dreams glow red as they die. I am Kintla Glacier, and I have watched over this valley for thousands of years. I grew to my largest in the 1800s, in an era of rainy summers and blizzard-rich winters. Those times are gone, but I am finding a new equilibrium at the dawn of the 20th century. I'm smaller, but stable. I could survive for centuries more, unless something changes. Welcome to Headwaters, a show about how Glacier National Park is connected to everything else. I'm Daniel. This is season three, and it's all about how this place became what it is today.
There's a thing that people say, oh, that's ancient history. Meaning that because it's history, it can't be relevant anymore. That something buried in the past doesn't have the power to impact the present, let alone the future. But I don't buy that. History is the study of what happened in the past. But it's also a study of the present and how we got here. This episode is about the search for oil here, around 1900, before this place was known as Glacier. But this story is also about how the past and the future can get tangled up. The climate crisis has a history here. It goes back more than a century. The very first oil well in Montana was drilled in what is now the park. It's a surprising story about the way history is always closer than we think. This season, we're looking at history from different angles. And before we turn back the clock, I want to start with the world today. This is Gabby. Gabby, you've been talking and interviewing young people all summer long. Yeah, to talk about climate change and to learn how they cope with it. And it varies. Some use poetry, some use humor. And a good place to start is a trip I took to Browning High School, right outside of the park. I'm walking up to Browning High, and I'm wearing my favorite sweater vest because I'm hoping it'll make the high schoolers that I'm about to talk to think I'm cool. It's this blue vest, and it's covered in geese, strutting and honking all over the place. Thank you. My goose gamble paid off. I'm here to meet with the Rising Voices Poetry Club. I'm introduced by their librarian and advisor, Amy. Um, guys, this is Gabby. And they introduce themselves to me. And I'll just have you start and you guys go around and introduce yourself. My name's Sovereign Smith. My name's Tristan Hannon. Emily Williams. Rebecca Edwards. Amelia Bird. Kira Bighorn. And Lily Crawford. My name's Amy Andreas, and I've graduated. <laughs> we gather in this cozy little space called the coffee shop, which is the usual meeting place for the club. Where's the coffee shop? Because mm-hmm. there's coffee? Because there's coffee. We usually run sometimes, a coffee shop. Sometimes we sell. <laughs> wait, wait, can someone please read that? Well, she wrote it. Wait, and read it out loud. So I made her write it up there this morning because I was like, I love this. Uh, I had to write a small poem about a very minor incident that I still remember for my English class. What so was the incident? It, it's, um, it's called Milk. I don't trust it. It's weird how it curdles, how it's fine one day and spoiled the next. The horrendous aroma emanating off the milk burned my nostrils. <laughs> At the beginning of the episode, we imagine the past, our history of oil exploration. But these students are trying to imagine what that history means for their futures. I don't really like thinking about climate change too much. I start getting scared and then angry, and so I usually just like push it aside. I feel like it's really unfair because mm-hmm. we're so young. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's a lot of pressure for young people to take on. I reached out to Amy a few weeks ago to ask if any student would be interested in writing and sharing a poem with me. And I'm glad they agreed. Articulating our feelings about climate change is hard. It took me until, like, until I had like five days left to actually sit down and write it because I wasn't in the headspace until that day. 
our society, like the, their past mistakes, it just you're a future generation. You gotta fix this when you're older. Like. <laughs> Surveys show that Glacier County, where these students live, ranks the highest in the state for concern about climate change. And you can hear that in their poems. Terminus by Lily Crawford. Her air whispers of decay, melting the Antarctic's frozen waters, breathing fumes through branches, traveling with every howling wind increasing slowly, soon becoming, over time, like dominoes, slightly too far apart, just close enough to gently knock over the next. Every crash gets closer and closer, then all at once, noticeable within one's own lifetime, things begin to shift. Lily, so what was that about? The world is kind of dying a little bit, and that makes me sad. Okay, Gabby? Daniel? We looked forward, You talk to young people about their futures. But now, let's look backwards. How did we get here? Of course, the climate has changed naturally in the past. But today, the biggest cause by far is burning fossil fuels like oil. Yeah, this is a good place to start. I think of Earth's atmosphere. It's like a blanket surrounding the planet. And when we burn fossil fuels like oil, that releases greenhouse gases into the air. Gases like carbon dioxide. And those gases trap heat. That's, I guess, why they call them greenhouse gases. They get added to the atmosphere, and they make that blanket thicker and thicker, trapping more heat. And what's wild is that those gases stay in the atmosphere for a long time. Yeah, at least hundreds of years, sometimes as long as a thousand years. Anyway, the point being, history does not stay in the past. Digging up and burning fossil fuels here in Glacier, even way back in 1901, that has consequences today. And because greenhouse gases are still accumulating, there is even greater impact on young people and future generations. Let's see what more of this history we can find if we head into the park. So this is my kind of list of things I want to talk to everyone about today. Introduce myself and then talk about the consequences and causes of climate change. Mm. We're here to meet students visiting through the University of Montana. They bring a group to visit Glacier every summer to learn about climate change. Why that order? I think I just want to get out of the way the consequences, which are the things that I think everyone expects to talk about here, which is like Hmm. melting glaciers and more Mm -hmm. wildfires. Right, more fire, less ice. Exactly. So we'll talk about that a little. But then I think the more interesting, bigger focus of today will be the causes of climate change. Usually these students would come here to see shrinking glaciers a consequence, which makes sense. Over the past 50 years or so, every glacier in the park has gotten smaller. But we have something different in store for them today. All right, everyone, good morning. Welcome to day two of our trip to Glacier. Um, And they are, Daniel's going to be taking a group around to look at some scenes and and talk about um, oil seep and the connection between the petroleum industry and the park. That's a little surprising. But before that, we're going to try to see one of the most famous glaciers in the park, Grinnell. To start off, can you tell me your name, age, and what you're studying? So my name's Claire Ferguson. I'm 20, and I'm studying history and then also environmental studies. 
you know, I've gotten to sit on rocks and look at the stars for hours and like the only sound around me was wildlife and was nature. And I feel guilty, you know, being able to have those experiences and appreciate nature. I feel guilty not doing enough. I feel guilty by not trying my hardest to save it. So all that being said, how do you, or do you think you contribute to climate change? Honestly, I think it's almost impossible to not contribute to climate change in our society. So do you feel like you're part of the solution? I want to be able to say that I helped and that's why like, like we have a future on this earth. So we're hiking along the shore of Grinnell Lake, and I'm getting distracted trying to spot a yellow warbler that I can hear but can't see. But the students are looking for a very specific spot. One of these photos was taken in 1888, the other was taken in 1914, and they're both looking at Grinnell Glacier from this bend in the stream. And we're trying to repeat those photos. But it's very hard to find. It is kind of hard to find, and that's what we're trying to do right now, and we're going to do some bushwhacking down the stream and hopefully get to the spot to where those photos were taken. But a lot of the vegetation is different, so mm -hmm. we're having a hard time finding it. Yeah. We love repeat photos here. Basically, they're before and after pictures of glaciers. The older historic photo shows what the glacier looked like back in the day, and then we take a new picture perfectly lined up to match the old one. As a kid, I was obsessed with playing those spot the difference games in magazines at the doctor's office. This is kind of like that, except I'm not left feeling the same pride for my attention to detail because spotting the difference today is really easy. Jack just walked yeeted into, himself. he just yeeted into the, <laughs> into the willows. Yell every once in a while so we know you're alive. I don't want to get left behind. Because Jack just started walking into all these plants, now we're kind of following him and we're bushwhacking a little bit. But there are like plants and shrubs as tall as me. I'm 5'4. Cool, we made it to a little clearing now. What do you see? Oh, there it is. A yellow warbler. You want to look at the binos? Oh, sure. And then is it yellow? Yeah, right. Oh, oh geez, there it go. <laughs> now he's in the back one. This is, that's what, that's it singing right there. They say it's sweet, 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 I'm so sweet. Someone needs to cross the stream to get the exact right spot for the photo. And Jack, the cool guy of the group, is quick to volunteer. Jack is taking off his gloves. <laughs> this is getting serious. <laughs> he popped his shirt, I think somewhat unnecessarily. I, he's perfectly the, wa dry. the water's up to his knees. <laughs> Most people take off their shoes and socks to get into a stream. Jack also took off his shirt for good measure. So he has a camera in one hand and a laminated copy of an old photo in the other. He closes one eye and holds up the photo, trying to line it up just right. He has that look on his face of, yeah, I'm making this look easy, but it's harder than it seems. To his credit, it's harder than it seems because what's in frame today is so different. It takes him a while, but he does it, 
and eventually wades back to shore to show us what he got. Okay, Jack's coming back. Okay, let's debrief. Jack, show us your the photo and what do you think? Like, how'd it go? It went well. It was pretty hard because, like, the flow of the river has definitely changed. Yeah. It looks like it's widened a little bit. More trees. There's taller trees that were kind of blocking the view. So it was hard to get the exact angle. But Yeah, commitment. Like, we wouldn't have gotten even anything. Yeah, we <laughs> got wet. Got yeah. in the water. MVP for the day. MVP. <laughs> definitely worth it. It kind of got lost in like looking for the photo and everything, but like the huge thing is that you used to be able to see a massive glacier right above those waterfalls. That massive glacier you could see in the old photo was Grinnell Glacier. And today... Now you can't see the glacier at all. It's back tucked under the mountain away out of our view. You can see the glacier was massive. Yeah. Okay, it went up hundreds of feet. And now that's just bare rock. And so then you, this is, we call this now the salamander or salamander glacier. You can still see some ice, but Grinnell Glacier itself is completely out of frame. Headlines are one thing, but moments like this make them feel real. Yes, my name's Sylvia Blodor and I'm 18. It's a sad thing to look at because the thing with the receding glaciers is that like, I'm not gonna be able to see what people saw a hundred years ago and my kids aren't gonna be able to see what I'm seeing and like, you know, on and on. So we're kind of watching the destruction happen in, in a way and it's hard, but it's also necessary. The story of melting glaciers is a pretty common one, but we're really here for another reason, to look for a cause of climate change. Oil. You know how bears have very powerful noses, they're very good at smelling things, they love smelly stuff. There are early stories from before Glacier was established of bears sniffing out muck and rolling in it and the people following these stinky, messy, dirty bears and realizing that they were covered in oil. These traders, they're trading furs and pelts and animal skins and they're coming across these bear pelts. They smell like gas or kerosene or oil. So early people looking to make it rich start following these bears and the bears end up leading them to oil seeps inside what is now Glacier National Park. I picture the scene in my head, and I imagine little cartoon men in old-timey clothes running around looking for oil. And as soon as they smell the bear pelts, their eyes change to big green dollar signs. And when the bear leads them to the oil seep, the dollar signs in their eyes are replaced by even bigger ones. The very first oil well in Montana was drilled in the North Fork of the park at the head of Cantla Lake right below Kintla Glacier by a company called the Butte Oil Company. The Butte Oil Company began drilling at Kintla in 1901. The company's six employees put up an 80-foot derrick at the head of the lake. Their expenses were high and production was slow, and money was running out. Ultimately, oil extraction was never profitable in Glacier, and the Kintla effort went up in smoke after just a few years. But despite the dangerous nature of this product, 
The world was going crazy for this new goo. There were even pop songs about it, like the oil fever gallop. It's not really the kind of business a family might start to serve a small town. Not then and not now. It required a lot of capital to get started. Before failing, the oil well at Kintla Lake sucked up $40,000. About $1.4 million today, adjusted for inflation. Instead, oil had the appeal of a slot machine. It was the kind of thing that could make anyone filthy rich overnight. It just required enough cash to drop into the slot, enough work to pull the lever, and enough luck to hit the jackpot. The first gusher that inspired the country's oil fever was tapped in 1861 in Pennsylvania. That well gushed 3,000 barrels per day. And like the one at Kintla Lake decades later, when the oil from that well shot into the air, something ignited the escaping gases, setting off an explosion that killed 19 people and blazed on for three days. And just as the oil fever broke at Kintla Lake, it spread to many glacier then on to Waterton Lakes National Park. Now, we're following Daniel around Many Glacier because he thinks he can lead us to a place where oil is seeping out of the ground. Um, so I have a cool photo. But you can see Grinnell Glacier right there in the background with the Salamander Glacier above it. That's an oil well right in the center of the photo. And then you have, so you have the causes of climate change and then what would become the consequences in the background, the Grinnell Glacier. But what isn't pictured is the carbon dioxide that was being released and building up in the atmosphere. Yeah, I didn't... Hopefully, I don't know, I wanted to, like, I want to build the excitement about an oil seat, but I also don't know if we'll, like, be able to see anything. You're going to disappoint us. (laughs) So do you have coordinates for it? Do you have, like, a general idea of where it is? Someone... I have three things on my to-do list for the day. Find a melting glacier, check. Find a yellow warbler, check. Find oil, working on it. Someone sent me a picture of a map, but it's also not like like a spring of oil like spouting out of the rocks. It's more like a general area where oil kind of oozes up through the gravel. Yeah. Um, so. The oil seep is, like, along the creek, kind of on the bank. So we aren't lost, but we don't know exactly where we're going. Not lost, just wandering. I've seen that on a t-shirt. The plan is to show the students a raw source material for climate change. Oil. But it's proving to be a bit more of a challenge than we thought for two reasons. It's hard to look for something you haven't seen before, and even more so when that thing is underground. I don't think this is the trail I've been on. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. You think it's right here? I, well, I see just a little, a little path. Yeah. Okay. It looks like it could be here. It took us kind of a while to find the right spot. Unless there's another spot like this, like right up there, then I think this has got to be it. Okay, everyone, time to dig for oil. (laughs) We have no shovels. (laughs) What about like a little higher up? Well, Gabby, that's easy for you to say because you're not the one digging. (laughs) 
Someone has to record. They start to get hopeful, but strike water again and again. My job, though, is to fill in the holes, to leave no trace. A job I'm good at because my big boots keep doing it on accident. Where it was like, There's a Gabby, you just filled in our hole. <laughs> but the students stay motivated to uncover what could be. You should have been an oil tycoon, Hallie. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to get it. <laughs> Still digging. Still digging. She's just money hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to strike it rich. Yeah, I'm waiting for the oil to like spur. Right. <laughs> That's the goal. If it doesn't, I'm going to leave here disappointed. <laughs> I am just about ready to give up when it finally happens. Hallie's eyes turn into huge green dollar signs. Ooh. Wait, keep going. Oh, look at that. Oh, no, like, look at this rock. I mean, it looks like it's covered in black oil, but oh my God, look. Oh, interesting. On my finger, you can tell it's oil. Wow. When oh, it's yeah. on your hands, that's when you can really tell. It looks like motor oil. Yeah, oh my gosh, look at it on your finger. Yeah. I feel like I gotta taste it. It's a good idea. Oh, it doesn't really taste like anything. It just tastes like a rock. It's like kind of the sliminess you would expect from touching algae slightly, but it's not algae, it's just like... Yeah. You can see the sheen on the surface of the water now. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna try and grab a few more rocks. You wanna touch that? Yeah. Oh my God. My name is Kobe Ben-Ezra. Uh, my age is 21. I'm studying philosophy and environmental studies at UW-Madison. Do you think you contribute to climate change? Yes. I do. How does that feel? <laughs> it kind of feels, um, it kind of feels annoying, I think, because personally, I know that I care about the environment. I know that I try as much as I can to help rejuvenate the environment. And I know I have that like ethical feeling towards the environment, but, but yet I can't really shift myself in a lot of ways. So I kind of would describe the relationship as annoying, kind of frustrating. Oh my God, mm -hmm. that is really gross. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're right, it does kind of feel like algae. And then it, like when you spread it, it just turns your fingers bright orange. Hmm, yeah, <laughs> look at that. So what were you all picturing when we said oil seep? Yeah, I feel like it's easy to take for granted with how many oil sites around the world we've already figured out are easy to extract. Like, oh, there's just some places that have oil, but it does make you think like how much work goes into looking for places and how much work is like goes into seeing if things are even profitable. And that there's a lot of things in between, like no oil and profitable oil. Sometimes it's just like slimy water in the ground. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I don't think, I can't say I've ever felt oil before, so. Well, now you have. Now I have. <laughs> and this makes sense, right? Like, this is why it was never profitable. It's because there's not, like, oil gushing out of the earth here. It's, it's a very low concentration. The oil may be diluted and buried under the earth, but this history and its consequences are concentrated and on the surface. The stains left on fingers will wash away, but the stains of this history won't. 
Um, so the park has a real history with fossil fuel and extractive industry. Also logging and mining and of course fur trapping. People have been trying to extract wealth out of this place for a long time and most of it didn't work. There wasn't really good enough oil or gas to make profit. In the end, the thing that turned out to be most profitable was tourism. Yeah. And the Great Northern Railway really saw that and was able to capture that, yep. that wealth. Yeah, it makes you think like what this place might look like if they were able to extract money from oil here. Especially, I'm from Bakersfield where there's a huge, huge oil industry and the entire city is just covered in oil rigs. And it's one of our like most beautiful hikes. And if you search up hikes in Bakersfield is Panorama Park and it's overlook of an oil field. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty gross looking. Hmm. And we have a lot of problems there with air pollution and water pollution. So um, it makes it hard to live there. So I'm glad that this place got that we weren't able to make money from oil here. Daniel and I say bye to the students and the one oil tycoon and start heading home. As we drive out of Many Glacier, I look in the side view mirror to see this valley fade into the distance. And something catches my eye. Objects in mirror are closer than they appear. I've seen this helpful reminder a thousand times. But today, it takes on a deeper meaning. All of us depend on fossil fuels in so many ways. And yet, this is a crisis set in motion over 150 years ago. Sometimes history and historical moments can feel so distant. But this doesn't feel so far away. These choices made 150 years ago, they are closer than they appear. An Age by Emily Williams. From Ice Age to Stone Age to Industrial to Digital to None. A change of times, chemicals, atmospheres, fumes, seeming to carry a woodler's tune. Wood, water, oil, coal, stone, clock, stop. Stop for a minute and look. A woodler can't replace what has been took, but they don't seem to write that in your book. All that's left is discarded pieces. But unlike the woodler's disarray, similar to the potter's clay, of pieces new we form, something of a new time. A society on the brink of change, generations willing to write ways, to handle and shape this lump of clay, to mold an idea of endurance and change. With gentle hands we adapt we must, as we lay here on this cusp, to try once more in this new age. Headwaters is a production of Glacier National Park, with support from our partner, the Glacier National Park Conservancy. This season of Headwaters was made by me, Daniel Lombardi, Perry Sassnett, Michael Faist, and Gabby Asaveri. Frank Wallen wrote and performed our music, and Eric Carlson created this season's cover art. Special thanks this episode to the instructors and all their students. Jim Elser with the Flathead Biological Station, Dalton, Sylvia, Jack, Hallie, Megan, you're awesome. Mark Hansen with the Wild Rockies Field Institute, and all your students, you really got me thinking. Kobe, Kaylee, Claire, Margaret, Julia, Delaney, Catalina, Catherine, Serendipity, Lily, also awesome. And of course, 
Big thank you to Amy Andreas with the Rising Voices Poetry Club at Browning High. Kiera, Emea, Lily, Vita, Rebecca, Tristan, Sovereign, Emily. Thanks for sharing your coffee shop and good vibes. Thanks for listening. Next time on Headwaters. We travel back in time over 12,000 years to discover a frozen world full of surprises. I think the Missoula floods are nearly incomprehensible in today's society. Living, breathing mammoth, not the bones, the dead part. You're looking at living behavior. Think about how they must have been comparing their lives to other species. Must have made those people feel like they were on the edge of tomorrow. That's next time on Headwaters. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Gabby. So Headwaters is supported by the Glacier National Park Conservancy. Yes. What else do you guys support? Another project that we support in the park is Hawk Watch. And I heard that you got to be involved with Hawk Watch this year. What was that like? It was amazing. It was amazing. We saw so many golden eagles. I was up there for two days and it was a really beautiful experience. Yeah, so Hawkwatch is a raptor monitoring program where park biologists and volunteers, they go out and they count how many birds and what species are migrating through the park. And they're collecting some really amazing data that's helping us understand what's happening with birds in this region. Absolutely. It's so important. Yeah. So thank you for being involved. And we're excited to keep Hawkwatch going. So if people want to learn more about Hawkwatch and other projects that the Glacier National Park Conservancy supports, where can they go? Yeah, they should check out our website. Visit glacier.org.